This is Echozoi Radio, episode 157 for May 2021 with Chris Honholtz for a Discussion Cornucopia 2021. Welcome to Echo Zoe Radio, the podcast outreach of Echo Zoe Ministries, where you'll hear about important topics affecting the church today. Our primary goal is to explore a variety of issues while remaining faithful to God and His Word. Stay with us for the next hour as your host, Andy Olson, shares his conversation with this month's guest. Here's your host, Andy Olson. I'm Andy Olson. Thanks for listening to Echo Zoe Radio. This is episode 157 for May 2020 with Chris Honholtz. Chris was just on our show a year ago for an episode that we entitled Discussion Cornucopia, and we're doing it again this month in a similar format. Chris brings two mini topics that we'll talk about, and I've got two mini topics as well. Show notes for this episode are available at echozoe.com slash 157. My social media situation remains unchanged. I am on Parler, Gab, and Telegram. My Facebook account remains deactivated and my Twitter accounts are not active. I have no current runaway favorite, but I do kind of lean into Telegram. If you're on Telegram, you can message my personal account at Andy Olson or follow my personal page at Real Andy Olson. There's also an Echo Zoe page where I mainly post new episode notifications. As always, please feel free to send a message via echozoe.com slash contact as well. With that, here's my discussion with Chris. Chris, it's been a year, but it is the anniversary episode of the last time you were on. I can't believe it's been a year already. Well, uh, of course, of course, last year felt like a decade, so maybe that's part of the reason. <laughs> that's true. That is a that is very true. Yes, the last year has felt like a decade. <laughs> and uh, I was going to go back and at least listen to the beginning of that show because. I can't remember exactly what we do. We did. I know we did a discussion cornucopia is what I titled it. Right. I have a feeling that that's kind of going to be the same thing we're going to do this time. Yeah, I love it. Before we it. start with uh, topic stuff and what we're going to do for topics, uh, we'll have, I think we'll have four topics. Then I have a little question that I'll throw it to you, but I want the audience to hear the question too. It's kind of a, um, a topic idea for the future, but I want some help with it. Okay. Um, before we do, I want to talk about, uh, why don't you talk briefly about your show and your ministry and what you do? It's been a year, but in case anybody has come on board in the last year and, and doesn't know. Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, it's, it's still weird to think of it as a ministry. Uh, it's becoming more and more starting to feel like that. Um, but we have a program called uh, Voice of Reason Radio, myself and my friend Richard Story. We've literally hit five years as of the end of April. Oh, congrats. Thank you. And uh, we're just a couple episodes away from having our 200th episode. Um, amazing that God has been so gracious to have us on for so long, uh, especially with the way podcasts can be. I mean, podcasting mm-hmm. is one of these weird things that they come and they go. Yeah. So just to have a, a stable uh, program and, and to watch the little bit of growth that God has been gracious to give us over the years is just amazing. Mm-hmm. Um, but the primary purpose of Voice of Reason Radio is that we've always wanted to cause people to go back to the Word of God as their primary 
lens through which they, they, they examine the, their walk of life. There's just nothing about our life that we shouldn't be looking at things through a biblical lens. You, you don't mm-hmm. get to have your own perspective. You need to go through it through God's word, and then you conform to that, and your perspective should be ever growing more in line with the word of God. And so we hope that that's what we, uh, our, that we accomplish each and every episode is to get people to examine their life, their walk, the, the things that they encounter through the word of God. We've always said that there's two stated goals, and that is to, one is to glorify God. If, we, if we're not glorifying God, then there's no purpose in what we're doing. Amen. And, that, and then the second thing is to, to edify the saints in some way. Um, obviously, the primary way that you're edified is through you know your study of the word, your prayer in your local church. Um, so at best, we hope to be a tertiary, uh, you know, tool that people use. But uh, that's that's our goal. Is each week we put on a, a program. We we talk about either current events or uh, issues that we've come to understand through our study of scripture, or uh, you know, just things that you you might be encountering in your own life. And so our hope is that we will encourage you, even if you disagree with us, go back to the Word of God and examine it, examine it in context. And make sure that what you do is 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 conforming yourself to the Word of God. Mm-hmm. And you are uh, a fellow member of Christian Podcast Community. Yes, in what? fact, uh, as Andrew Rappaport likes to say, I'm an award-winning podcast, and now <laughs> a member of the Christian Podcast Community. <laughs> and I think you were last year too, if I'm not mistaken, well, they or you did were not... like right on the hospital coming on board. Yeah, I was. We came on in. Uh, let's see. I think it was 2019 that they they made us an award-winning episode for the Christian Podcast Community Awards. They did not do one for 2020 because 2020 drove everybody insane. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> but uh, we we had um, they had a they were doing that at the time that Rich and I had been discussing making application to. So they were kind of like almost passing one another. One did not influence the other. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it wasn't like they, they threw out a carrot and said, here, we'll make you an award-winning podcast to get you on board. But, <laughs> um, but that it was all around that same time that uh, we were already starting to make that decision when that, when they gave us an award for our past, our, our podcast episode, help the pastors drowning. So oh. yeah, we've, uh, we've been with them for a little while now and it's, it's really been a blessing to, to see this conglomeration of podcasts like yours and others that seek to put out good biblical content and actually work together and cross platform mm-hmm. and, and help one another. Yeah. It's uh, it's been great uh, for me too. And um, I've, my mind has been a lot off of podcasting a lot. That's partly why this episode, well, the last episode was late, which kind <laughs> of, they, they kind of domino in that way where if one's late and if they, the following ones end up being late. <laughs> so don't count on the June one being up early June. Um, so but uh, yeah, anyway, so my, and then on top of that, my mind has been off of doing the show, you know, a bit more. I've been a little bit busier as a lot of us have been and stuff. Yes. But uh, yeah, I mean, otherwise, I mean, it's even so, I should say, um, this CPC is a, is a big blessing to be a part of. And it really and, is. Uh, I agree. And I like the, the work that the, you know, Andrew and them have done on, I mean, they do such a good job of, of vetting podcasts and stuff too, that oh, I feel yeah. comfortable saying, you know, even the shows I haven't heard to, to check them out, you know, oh, absolutely. And I think people are generally relatively discerning. If you're listening to CPC, you've got a little bit of, at least a little bit of discernment skills. So I feel comfortable <laughs> saying, uh, yeah, go well, check them out. 
Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I mean, Rich and I have known Andrew for years. We've been friends with him and we still went through the same vetting process. Yeah. It wasn't like Andrew just said, okay, you're signed up. I mean, they yeah, have a board totally. and they, they examine it. They have to answer all the questions. So praise God for that commitment to, to, you know, yes, we're all going to have some differences in our theological understandings, but you're, you're, you're going through a process that even if you know the guy, you're still going to make sure that what you put in that community is a solid program. And that yeah. people can have faith that it, even if they don't agree with everything that podcaster says that by and large, they're going to have be well-fed and I, mm-hmm. that I appreciate 100%. Yeah. And there's a little bit of uh, just accountability too. just like, I mean, mm-hmm. at least in the back of my mind, I'm always thinking, well, there's just one more body that I just want to not be ashamed of associating with me, you know? Exactly. So, yeah. So as for topics, um, you know, last year we called it discussion cornucopia and, uh, I don't know what I'm going to title this one yet. We'll find out if you're listening. You already know, but, um, we're, we each have two topics. This is kind of how it's going to work is we each brought two topics. I have not told you what my topics are. You said, I am aware of one of the topics. Yeah. I, I kind I, of, kind of forgot. I think it was something I think, was, I think I kind of remember a little bit and I don't know what the second one is. So I think right. we'll let you start. And then we'll ping pong back and forth. You'll do one okay. and, and I'll do one. I have a, I have got a kind of a fun one I want to close with. Cool. So we'll cool. end the, the final topic this one. And then, then again, like I mentioned before, um, a question at the end that, uh, for a future episode. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so the first thing I was, uh, I thought about talking about because it's kind of on the lips of everyone right now is there's a, a huge debate going on, especially within Southern Baptist convention it has to do with, uh, women preaching, which is, uh, you know, not just like a women teaching within the church and they're teaching the kids and they're teaching other women, but actually being at the pulpit on Sundays, preaching on, uh, to the congregation, tre- preaching to a mixed audience. And that's, especially it was, we are in a kind of a very egalitarian woke culture where everything is, well, we've got to have equality on everything and everybody's got to be able to do everything else. And, and, you know, white male, Christian, European, cisgendered, heterosexual, you got to divest yourself of power. In the midst of all this, you have, of course, probably the most prominent, you know, voice in all that is Beth Moore, who loudly and quite boisterously left the SBC uh, because it was basically like, well, you're just a bunch of misogynist pigs and and, and, uh, you're not concerned about uh, you know, women and not concerned about, uh, you know, people who don't agree with you, so I'm out of here. And one of the big things that she was doing up and uh, throughout all of this, as we started seeing things like uh, critical theory, uh, feminist theory and stuff becoming more and more acceptable is she was jumping on board with that, which is very stock and trade for, for Beth Moore, whatever will help her promote her brand is, is really what she'll hop onto. And then if it's no use to her, she'll, she'll drop it like a hot rock, move on to something else. Well, back on May 10th and I'm, I'm looking at the post right now, on Twitter, she she puts something out where she says, sisters, and she's specifically talking to women, for your examination, encouragement, and courage, do some research on Romans 16, where Paul sends greetings to both men and women who are laboring faithful faithfully for the gospel. These sisters weren't just packing the brothers' lunch kits. They were fellow servants of Christ Jesus. And I can tell you right now, Beth Moore got a lot of pushback from a lot of ladies because it, it certainly sounded like she was denigrating um, just the, you know, the service of a lot of women who 
are at home. They're taking care of their families. They're, they're, they're supportive of their husbands. And when she says these sisters weren't just packing lunch, brothers' lunch kits, she's basically saying that's the lowest rung of servanthood. You know, it's, it's basically you're not really serving God. You're actually just being expected to be barefoot, pregnant, and in the kitchen kind of attitude towards women's service. <clears throat> and so I took a look at that and I knew you know, it's like I can do the math. You know, anybody paying attention to what she's saying knows exactly what she said. So I just responded to it and I just said, let's be straight complementarians do not believe the only role for women is making men's lunch kits. In truth, we believe the Bible outlines many gifts and roles for all people, men and women, within the church and commands us to use our gifts in service to Christ. And basically, I went on to say that, you know, we're talking about older women to, were to teach younger women, as we see in, in Titus 2, that all mm -hmm. uh, Christians are gifted uniquely to, and and. They are to use those gifts for the edification of one another. We, we don't have gifts for our own purposes to build ourselves up. It's to build up one another. We serve Christ by building up mm -hmm. one another. So in a complementarian uh, understanding of Scripture, we recognize that women have God-given gifts they use in serving Christ in a manner prescribed by Scripture. So there's one role that, uh, that, God, that in the church that God has prescribed that's designated to a certain gender, and that is the role of pastor, elder, bishop, overseer. And God has that there because it is a reflective of Christ's relationship with his church. It actually pictures something. So mm -hmm. he puts that there, but he doesn't just say it's open to any man. It's actually certain men that meet certain qualifications. You can't be given over to drunkenness. You can't be having your house out of order. You can't, uh, you, you can't, uh, be a, a person of disreputable um, uh, reputation. Uh, you have you have to be a, a, a husband of one wife. There, so you, there are qualifications. Not every person can even be. Not even every man can be in that role. Right. And so to you know the idea that well you're being sexist because you're ex excluding women. No, it's actually a narrow strip of people who are allowed to be in that role, and they are men called of God, meeting certain qualifications. So he sets these things out in 1 Timothy 3 and Titus 1 and says, this is the qualifications. This is who gets to be in that role. That means the rest of us aren't in that role, and the rest of us have gifts that we are to use in service to God according to his, his uh, qualifications and his commands and according to Scripture to edify the church and to go out and make disciples. But Beth ignores all that. She's basically saying that um, despite the fact that men and women have a variety of roles, that they that that we all, we all use our gifts in a way to minister and serve Christ, and that the role of the elders is a specific group of men that God has called. She ignores all that, and she wants to say that we think as complementarians that women only really have a place in the kitchen. You know that that's that's just it. That's all you really get to do, and and she denigrates that, and so that's again going back. This is stock and trade, Beth Moore. It is emotional manipulation. It is to play upon the emotions, not actually deal with what scripture says. And that, you know, is one more reason why we should actually look at her and go, okay, we need to mark and avoid this individual. But that's part of what's going on in this overall debate. You've got people who are saying, well, women are gifted to teach and you're preventing them from teaching. No, we're not. You know, the, I, I've said before, I, I, I have a gift of gab. I can be on a podcast. I, I might be able to write something out and make it intelligible, but that doesn't make me qualified to be a pastor. In fact, I can pretty well tell you from my temperament 
<laughs> the way I deal with people who are frustrating, um, that I probably should not be in that role unless yep. God does mm-hmm. some dramatic changes mm-hmm. in my life. So I, I feel the same way about myself. Yep. <laughs> so, but yet I can use the gifts that I have. And by the way, my yeah. pastors know what I do. They know that I have a podcast. They've actually been very supportive of it. They even mm-hmm. made it a, a resource in a series of classes that we're doing. They say, hey, this is a podcast you can listen to that you will benefit you in this topic. So they know what I do. They support it. And yet they're not calling me up there to preach. And I guess what? I'm not offended by that. That mm-hmm. is not my role. That is not my calling. My gifting and my unique services is doing this podcast. It's writing articles on the blog. It's it's being able to have conversations with people like yourself or other Christians and discuss these issues and, and help people come to an understanding so that we can continue to all grow grow in our faith. So for Beth to basically tell women that if you're making lunch kits, that's really not enough. It's the same thing as the people who are saying, Um, you're denigrating women if you don't let them be in a pastoral role. No, we're not, because that pastoral role is to a unique body of people. And the rest of us have our varied places where God has equipped us and called us. And it is us slapping God in the face and slapping his commandments in the face and saying, we decide, we know what's best, because that's what the society thinks is best. Well, it's also a complete misunderstanding of what it means to be a servant. Mm-hmm. You know, and the whole concept of being a servant is is about putting others first, mm-hmm. to, to putting yourself behind them and doing what benefits them. And if all you're concerned about is, well, I don't get enough uh, prestige in my servanthood, then, you know, are, you're not really being a servant. You're just looking for glory and you know, there, that's a that, that's a big problem in and of itself. Absolutely. I mean, think about what the role of a, of a, a pastor, teacher, elder is. You are the under shepherd of the flock of God. That means your boss, the one you are responsible to, is the one who is the actual shepherd of those of that flock. Mm-hmm. You, you don't get to get uh, notoriety. You don't get to have uh, some place in the spotlight. Now, in our real world experience, so to speak, there are people that we have recognized because of God's gift and and calling in their life. They may have more of a platform, take like a John MacArthur, Stephen Lawson, et cetera. But you ask any of those men about that, you know, and none of them are interested in that spotlight. They're there because God has made them a, a voice loud enough with their platform to continue to do what they always have done, which is point people to Christ. They're not seeking attention for themselves. They're not looking for fame or glory for themselves. They're seeking to shepherd the flock flock of God. And Christ exampled what that kind of leadership was when he washed the feet of the disciples. You know, you get down on your hands and feet and you wash the dirty feet of the flock. That's what that calling is. And anybody who says, looks at it like it's some sort of high prestigious position has no understanding. And if we say, well, you have to elevate this group of people because they've been oppressed, you've you've missed the point of what that position is. Because Mm -hmm. the pastor elder, yes, he has more recognition, so to speak, because he's out in front. But quite honestly, 
you know, God honors the guy who cleans the toilets of the uh, of the church. God honors the the women who are are, are and and, uh, and and men who are in the nursery taking care of the kids. God honors the people who visit the you know the widows and orphans and and brings them meals and stuff as much as he honors the person who speaks for him on the pulpit. So the idea that we use these gifts and we're not we're just not uh, doing enough if we're not allowed up in that position denigrates the whole idea of servanthood, just like you said. Mm-hmm. Well, I'm going to, um, I, I had to look it up, Mark 10, um, w- the request of James and John. You know, James and John, sons of Zebedee, wanted Jesus to put him at, you know, can you put us at your at their right hand and one on your left? You know, and Jesus is like, you don't even really know what you're asking. Yeah. You know, they wanted the glory of being the number two to God Almighty. Yeah. You know. And, and he says, you don't, you don't have any idea what you're asking. And, and I think that's so much of the, the spirit behind, you know, what like Beth Moore's getting at there. Yeah. But she wants everybody to be the left and right hand of, of Jesus. And, and, and she doesn't know what she's asking. Exactly. I mean, there's a reason why scripture tells us not to seek to be many masters because we have the greater judgment. When you stand up there and you speak for God and you step up there and say, thus saith the Lord, and you exposit the word, you're held accountable for every single word that comes out of your mouth. That is a massive responsibility. Mm-hmm. Okay, There's, you are held to a stricter judgment. That's why it says, like, if you lead children to sin, that you're going to be, it'd be better if you had a millstone around your neck and hung in the depth of the sea. There is a greater judgment for false teachers. There is a greater judgment for people like Beth Moore who elevate that position to something that's some sort of prestigious, look at me, I want the attention, you need to listen to me mentality. Because what Beth does is she exposits herself. She doesn't exposit the word of God. She does a hunt and peck uh, method of, of going through scripture and then gives you stories and gives you emotion and then gets you reeled into who she is. Mm-hmm. And she's going to be held accountable for every single word that she's uttered. That should terrify us. That, you, mm-hmm. know, you know, whenever we think that we should be elevated to a certain position and grant every one of us deal with pride. Every one of us wants something attention for something at some point. And that is that monster needs to be put to death in all of us. But when you start to demand that attention and you want that spotlight, you have put the attention on yourself and not on God. You have said, I have something to say. I have the ability to teach. I, you need to listen to me and you need to mm-hmm. let me be up there. No, 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 no. You have missed the point. And when you say that God's word is not clear when it is about who's allowed to be up in that position, you have said what I believe and what I think is far more important than the word of God. And that is, that is idolatrous. That is idol worship. It is worshiping the God of self. Yep. Yep. And that's. I think it goes back to the garden and even, even before the garden. And that's what got us into trouble in the first place is Amen. You know, the whole look at me. Yep. But, that's uh, exactly well it. Well said. Um, it might be a good point. I think we're coming up in about a minute or two to where I wanted to break anyway. So okay. it might be good to break. And uh, my first topic for the the episode is just to talk a little bit about persecution and, mm-hmm. and persecution in general. And uh, I guess what kind of got me thinking about it is just where we are in the world today you know, especially the last, say, four or five months. Oh, yeah. And uh, and also to look not just at uh, what's happening here in the U.S., but 
you know, you and I both have listeners, plenty of listeners outside of the U.S. And, uh, you know, I look just to the north and what's happening in, in Canada right now is just astonishing. Um, the persecution is has come to the west and uh, I think it's only going to get worse. And so uh, I want to talk a little bit about how we can be ready for it, you know, because we really need to be prepared to uh, you're reaching for something. Yeah, I was grabbing my Bible. <laughs> <laughs> All right. But yeah, no, I absolutely. Um, and, and you know, the first thing I, I want to kind of say for everybody listening is if you don't think persecution is going on in the church right now because it's all COVID related, you don't understand what persecution is. Mm. Um, it just let, Let's just establish right up front the government doesn't get to tell the church how to function. God tells the church how to function. When we say Romans 13, God has told government how they can function. Look in Romans 13. Look at what it says. Mm-hmm. God is there to punish the evildoer. He's there to protect the people. It's But it's not there to tell the church how it can function. And there's no caveat. There's no little asterisk in your Bible that says, except in, you know. During a pandemic. During a, a pandemic. Mm-hmm. Okay. And now I just, you know, because I've always had to say this on our show in, in recent months. When we, when this all first started happening, I remember there were a lot of people who were like, how dare you shut your church to because of the COVID mandates? You should keep it open. And I, Rich and I argued, hey, right now, based on what we know, this there's a reason why churches are okay for doing this. I'm not saying mm-hmm. you have to close your church, just don't give them grief for doing it. But, it, you know, Rich had made a very good question very early on, which is, where is the line? When is it too much? Well, about the third week was about too much, and we <laughs> began to notice that. And it went very quickly. And what happened is you had uh, California telling churches, you can't meet at all, you can't sing, you can't have any people, you can't have home fellowships or anything like that. And what was happening is the church was being designated as non-essential by government. Government was determining what was essential and what wasn't. And the church was now determined to be one of the last things on the list to be considered essential. So what fast forward to, you know, where we get to what's going on up in Canada, what's going on with Grace Community Church in California. And you've got the government coming against these churches to the point of locking doors and arresting pastors in Canada, lawsuits, you know, uh, shutting down parking lot leases, threatening to put the homeless in your parking lot, etc. as in going on in California. That is persecution because you have a government who has said you aren't essential. We can tell you what you can and can't do and you have to do it or we will shut you down. Now, if you don't understand that, then you need to go back and understand what is the function of government and then apply that to Romans 13 and then go to Hebrews where it says, do not forsake the gathering mm-hmm. and understand that we have a higher authority. So let, I just want to establish that because we've got people who are saying that's not persecution and they're just dead wrong. Yeah. And and I think part of my thinking on this was to kind of the the way politics is going, not just here in the U S but globally. And, um, somebody pointed out, I don't know who I was listening to. It was a little more political show. You know, if it was earlier today or yesterday and we're recording on, uh, May 13th. So, uh, Thursday, the 13th, um, somebody had said, you know, take a look at just here within the Uni- United States, what kind of policies and regulations are being, uh, proposed and pushed through or considered and, and who are they benefiting? And if you notice, 
They sure aren't benefiting conservatives. They're not benefiting Christians. They're not even a lot of camps. They're not even really benefiting liberals and Democrats. But you know who they are benefiting? They're benefiting the Chinese communists. Yeah. Yeah. And, And it's becoming more crystal clear that, you know, they are trying to get their grip on the world, which they, they've wanted since 1949. They have wanted to take over the world, and that seems to be the direction we're heading in. And Xi Jinping said just in the last year or so that he sees the greatest threat to the Chinese Communist Party is the church. Mm-hmm. And a lot of what we're seeing, going back to the previous discussion, you brought in some of that critical race kind of stuff. That's all communism. That's Marxism trying to get in sowing division amongst people because mm-hmm. they want to they want to divide and conquer and they're using race where they couldn't do it through uh, economic class they've tried for a century and a half in america they could not get to us through economic class because yeah we had rich and poor but the poor all figured that we live in a place where if i work hard enough i can become rich mm-hmm. so they didn't want to go after the rich they wanted to become the rich yeah and so the more recently the, the Marxists have figured out, well, this might be an easier way to divide people. And so I see basically what has happened in China for decades is kind of what is coming to the rest of the world. Yeah, no, I absolutely agree um, that, you know, the church is, is the visible representation that there's an authority higher than man. And, the church calls the world to repentance from sin because that sin is what is put you at war and under the wrath and judgment of God. Mm-hmm. And we calls us to faith in Christ, which means trusting in something that's higher than man. Government cannot abide by that. Government cannot stand that. And that's what we used to you go back to, you know, 1980s Russia, back during the Cold War, it was an atheistic government. What did they do with dissidents? They put them in Siberia. They put them in labor camps. They, 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 there was no God other than the Communist the Party. Yep. Yeah. And so that is what China is dealing with. They've, they've had a church. You know, They've had the issues with the church. They tried to seem more lenient by allowing for state-approved churches. That's emboldened the church to continue to preach the gospel. That, that they, Now they're like, okay, we, just, we can't even handle uh, state-approved churches. We've got to rewrite the Bible that's uh, acceptable to the Communist Party of China. So they are dealing with what exactly the church is there for, which is to speak God's word into the world, to remind the people that they are held to a standard that they cannot attain apart from Jesus Christ, and that the government is not the highest form of authority. And so I believe what you see with China and, and its involvement in so many other countries and so many other nations that are adopting, as you said, like neo-Marxist principles, they cannot allow for the Christian church to be, exist without being under the thumb of government because government has to be the highest authority. Sure, you can, you can have freedom of worship, which was the phrase we heard under the Obama administration, which was not freedom of religion, freedom of worship, because worship they can confine. Freedom of mm-hmm. religion impacts your entire life. And so they wanted to confine it. Now they're trying to say, we can even tell you what you can and cannot do because we believe it's too unsafe. And I think the next step, and when we see this with going yeah, on, we're going to, oh. as we, as this uh, 
virus kind of works its way out of the general uh, general life, I think it'll be around forever, but it's going to work its way out of general life. It'll be kind of more like the common cold or the flu. Yeah. But as it does, um, you know, I think the next logical step is that it's going to be, you know, there's a full on attack of the American first amendment and not just freedom of religion, but freedom, freedom of, speech. of speech and and all that. And so it, it's going to be, this is hate speech. It has to be mm-hmm. regulated. And, and we see that we've been seeing that for years in the UK it's crept into Canada. You know, much of the English speaking world is already dealing with it and uh, it'll come here. Oh, absolutely. And I think with we, what we seek with critical theory, that's going to be the kind of the, the spear tip that actually makes that possible. You know, things like transgenderism, uh, LGBTQ rights, um, mm-hmm. critical race theory, uh, set, uh, you know, uh, gender theory, etc. You're hearing it said now that if you misgender someone, for example, you're causing, you can be causing irreparable harm. So if you call a man who is a man and you call him a man, he is a man, but he wants to be called a woman and you say he's a man, you've misgendered this person. That, that means you're, you, you have no right to speech because what you've done is hate speech. Mm -hmm. And I think what we're seeing is you're, you're, you're seeing a positioning going on right now where if you are not in favor of things like critical race theory, you're a fake Christian because you don't care about justice. And if you're if you're a church that believes it, God has told you to function and continue despite what the government claims of authority are, and you do that, you're a fake Christian because you're going to kill grandma. And so I believe what we're seeing happen, and we just saw it with, we've seen it with uh, churches like Saddleback. There's a positioning going on right now where they're try- people like Rick Warren are trying to establish themselves as the compliant churches, the ones that care about, you know, COVID compliance, care about, you know, being submissive under Romans 13, and then saddle back just publicly, not even quietly, like massive public announcement that they have a, they've ordained three women pastors. And what that is, I believe, is Rick Warren and Saddleback trying to be kind of ahead of the curve of this critical theory stuff by saying, look, we even believe we should empower women. Mm-hmm. And so I believe what you're going to see is COVID is part of it. Critical race theory is part of it. And it's going to be this, you are a church that is causing harm because you won't shut down when you're supposed to. You, you're teaching hate speech. You won't, uh, you don't care about justice and, uh, you know, you, you, you are against critical race theory and stuff like that. And I think that's where we're going to see here in America, especially that pushed forward. That's the worst of this whole persecution topic is seeing that it coming within the church or within those who claim to be of the church. Absolutely. That, that, that there's as much persecution from those who claim to be our brothers as there is from outsiders. Absolutely. And I think that's, that's when we, we look at what Paul and the other apostles said that, you're going to have savage wolves that come in from among you. Mm-hmm. You know, they're, they're, we are to be as concerned about those in our midst who claim to be our brethren as anything else. Paul, you know, Paul you know, t- tells the, you know, I think it was the Corinthians, hey, I-, I told you not to associate with immoral people, but I wasn't talking about those outside the church. You'd have to leave the planet for that to yeah. happen. But if you're going, I'm talking about those within the church. We start judgment within the church. Mm-hmm. So the, the the most 
uh, you know, pro prolifically practiced biblical judgment should have happened within the walls of our church. And we should be looking at what does the Word of God say, and what are you saying? What are you doing? And if you're not lining up with the Word of God, then you're not in the camp. You're you're a pretender. You're, we're going to hold you accountable for it, and we're you know if you continue to claim you're a Christian, we're going to hold you to that biblical standard. And if you keep fighting against it, you're going to face church discipline. Mm -hmm. And well, like I, was, said, I, I was just uh, over the weekend, I was listening to your most recent episode, or at least it was as of Saturday um, <laughs> when you were talking about has God said, where that whole discussion you had with Rich about uh, I recommend the the episode. I should drop it in the show notes. Um, about people who want to know what's the bare minimum that I got to believe right. in order to be saved. And can I get away with just refusing to believe any further? Yeah. And, and, and I think that that's what we're seeing is you have a lot of people who are courting the church, but are really of the world. Yeah. And, and we have, uh, they, they want to, they want the legitimacy of being able to call themselves a Christian. They want the fire insurance to say mm -hmm. that they're not going to hell. But they they're not interested in the right. in walking with Christ. But then you've got I mean, people. It's kind of a, almost a repackaging of the the, the no lordship theology yep. from like the six or the seventies and eighties with uh, MacArthur and the, they they want Jesus as a savior but not as Lord. Exactly, and I think that's still the case. And I think mm -hmm. the thing that makes it worse is you have people who ostensibly are on you know, on our side of the Christian camp, conservative Christians. Within the SBC, within uh, Protestant denominations, etc. We're not talking about the liberals. We're talking about people who su supposedly, at least file cabinet in their statement of faith, believe what you and I believe. Mm -hmm. And yet they're saying, well, we don't want to push this too far. You get like J.D. Greer, a current president of the SBC, saying, well, we need to whisper about sexual sins because the Bible seems to whisper about it. We need to, to be the strongest advocates for equality for people who have... Uh, of LGBT because you know we want to show our love for them, and it's like you're supposed to be somebody who believes what the Word of God says, and you're encouraging this, mm -hmm. you know, and it's, so that's it's building up within our own ranks, and not even just liberal denominations versus conservative, but with ostensibly within the conservative ranks, yeah. and I think the, this last year especially has exposed that to a great degree. And I yep. think we're going to watch, as you said, not only from just outside, but by people who claim to be followers of Christ, partnering up with the government and turning on the biblical church. Yeah. And I think I'm uh, coming up on a time to, to move on to topic number three. But before I do, I just I, I want to I don't do this very often, but I want to request, especially those who are outside the United States, um, I don't I don't often ask for feedback, but if you've got anything to offer uh, the church in, in the United States, as we see the, we see the hordes on the horizon coming and persecutions coming. If you live in a part of the world that's been dealing with it, as long as you can remember that, that is familiar with persecution, I'd love to hear from you. Echozoe.com slash contact is probably the best way to do it. Or, um, I, I am on telegram. There's a Echozoe account, Echozoe on telegram. That might be a way to do it. I think, I think most people consider Telegram pretty, pretty safe. <laughs> uh, I'm not Hard exactly to say sure. <laughs> I'm kind of new to Telegram, but um, it supposedly is a little bit safer thing. Um, 
Yeah, I'd love to hear from you. How can we get more prepared? How can I maybe do a full episode just on on persecution and getting people ready for persecution? Absolutely. So. And before we transition, I do want to leave because this is a heavy topic and it, it can mm-hmm. really weigh you down. I want to I want to leave people with at least one thing to think about when it comes to the issue of persecution. Second Thessalonians chapter one, Paul's writing to the Thessalonian church who came to faith and immediately faced persecution and was ongoing in both letters that he writes. And uh, starting in verse three, Paul writes, we ought always to give thanks to God for you brothers as is right because your faith is growing abundantly and the love of every one of you for one another is increasing. Therefore, we ourselves boast about you in the churches of God for your steadfastness and faith in all your persecutions and in the afflictions you are enduring. So it's ongoing, yet they're growing in faith. And this is an encouragement that he gives them in verse 5. This is the evidence of the righteous judgment of God that you may be considered worthy of the kingdom of God for which you are suffering. So first off, when you are enduring suffering and persecution, that's an evidence of God's righteous judgment that you are considered worthy of his kingdom. You are being persecuted for him. Okay. Mm-hmm. Secondly, he says, since God indeed considers it just to repay with affliction those who afflict you and to grant relief to you who are afflicted as well as to us when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire, inflicting vengeance on those who do not know God and those and on those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. They will suffer the punishment of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his might when he comes on that day to be glorified in his saints and to be marveled at among all who have believed because our testimony to you was believed. So first off, if you are enduring affliction and persecution, you are counted worthy by God. You're part of his kingdom. So that's, that's a his mark that you are his. But also there's coming a day. There is not one of these individuals who is coming against the church that will not stand before God and be held accountable. Every mm-hmm. single one of them who brought persecu- is bringing persecution on the church, they're going to stand before God and face his judgment. So that, yeah. that, that should be a reason for us to pray for them, that they would repent so that they would not be. But understand, there's a day when you will spend eternity with Christ, and they will spend eternity in eternal condemnation for what they have done. Yeah. Yeah, I had to look up quick, and I we're we're delaying, but that's okay. We're not bound to, <laughs> to fifteen minutes or an hour total. Um, it, we do a scripture reading at, at church uh, during our worship time, and and a couple of weeks ago, I don't remember if this was the passage that came up, but um, they they read about. Um, I'm getting this from Second Corinthians four sixteen and seventeen, and I, and I assume that's what he was reading, but. Uh, so we do not lose heart, though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. And this was the key part. For this light momentary affliction is preparing us for an eternal weight of glory beyond all co- comparison. And the interesting thing is we see light momentary affliction. Yeah. Okay. Now, we were under, Paul was under the Romans at the time. This is in Corinth. Uh, light momentary. He's talking about life, his whole life, Right. From the time, from the Damascus Road experience until he died. As, and he, he describes that as light and momentary. And I was just sharing with my wife that the, the momentary part I get, you know, that when we compare th- this life we have, even if we're granted a century 
on this earth. It, it is momentary yep. in the in light of uh, eternity, right? Yep. It'll be here and gone so fast that it'll feel like you know a moment. But it's that light part. Mm-hmm. That it's that it's that light part. Well, what makes it light? And the only thing that can be compared to is what the condemned will get. Yeah. That's that's exactly true. I mean, in comparison to what we will one day enjoy, that 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 glory, that beauty, that peace and and presence of Christ, what we what we endure now is is nothing. But by comparison to the person who will spend eternity in eternal condemnation, and there's no question. I mean, Christ makes it clear that if you teach falsely, there is a greater condemnation. Imagine those that condemn Christ's church. You may have someone who lived their life by all earthly standards, an okay guy goes to work, pays his taxes, kisses his wife goodbye, takes care of his kids, but he's in rebellion to God because he's still a sinner and he's, mm-hmm. he, you know, he uh, he's never turned to Christ. He's never admitted his sins. He thinks he's a good guy, but he's in, in full rebellion. You take him to the person who is leading the charge against the church. Both will spend eternity in condemnation, but the one who persecuted Christ's church, who intentionally tried to tear it down and hurt the people who are following Christ, he has an even greater condemnation. So yeah, Mm -hmm. in light of that, what we feel now, it's terrible. It's painful. We hate it. Nobody wants it. But what we will face versus what they will face that's where the perspective comes in, and Paul is right. Light momentary yep. affliction. Yep. So our third topic, what is it? I have no idea. <laughs> I'm, I'm interested. So uh, not long ago, it's kind of we're kind of almost all of us dovetailing in the in the same categories. Um, a little while ago, back first part of last month, I had written an article for our our website, slavetothekeng.com, and it had to do with the title was "Philosophies and Empty Deceits: Battle for the su- Sufficiency of Scripture." And I, the way I the way I've been doing things lately with my studies is I'm taking a book of the Bible and I'm reading it day, every day for two weeks. If it's a big book, I break it into chunks for two weeks and then go on to the next. And I was going through Colossians over and over again, and I I started reading it, and something just kept sticking out to me. And it was when he it, Paul writes that we are to not be taken captive by vain philosophies. Um, and it, it suddenly dawned on me, the reason it kept jumping out at me is that's what's going on in our church right now, in the professing church right now, with this battle over critical race theory, social justice, uh, intersectionality. You have people who are bringing godless ideologies into the church and are saying, this is this is an analytical tool. This is how you know uh, to determine what is just, what is right. This is how you understand oppression and racism. This is how you understand sexism or et cetera. And it's being brought into the church. And it's basically an an admission that the word of God is insufficient. And so I had written the article with the intent of pointing back to what Paul had written, that we were to look to the word of God as our sole source of authority. We were to reject those things that lead us to believe that we can look to some sort of outside philosophy and somehow that guides the church. 
And so what I what I pointed out is that um, Paul had said to, that they were to reject Paul, uh, plausible argument, excuse me, arguments. He, uh, he had written to them that he says, in order that no one may delude you with plausible arguments. He he literally had labored and struggled for those in the church so that they would reach, as he, he says in, in ver, chapter 2, verse 2, to reach all the riches of full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery. In other words, this was something he labored over. He wanted them to know the word of God, to know and have assurance and understand uh, God and, and the mystery of his gospel, etc. So he tells them two verses later that he's done this so that no one may delude them with a plausible argument. Now, a plausible argument, it sounds likely, it sounds true. It mm -hmm. has a ring to it that may, makes it sound like it's something we could follow. But he wants them to distinguish between those plausible arguments and what is truly re revelation from God. And he tells them uh, in, in verse 8, See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit, according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. He, he was warning them that there were arguments that seemed so legit, legitimate that you could be taken captive by them. There, was a, there, there were philosophies that, unless they were examined in the light of Scripture, you could be sucked in by them. And that's what he's warning them against. He's saying, you have to examine these plausible arguments against what you have been taught, what has been revealed in Scripture. And he goes on in chapter 2, and there were, there were were he makes a, a statement that I believe breaks into two parts. And the first is he says, um, that are, there, he makes the point that there are arguments that appear biblical, but they're not, full, they don't acknowledge the full revelation of Scripture. And the first part of that is, right. he says, Therefore, let no one pass judgment on you in question of food and drink or with regard to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath. These are a shadow of the things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. That's 16 and 17. So the first part of the argument is that you can have someone coming to you making arguments that have a biblical basis, but they lack full revelation. So in this case, it, it, under the Old Covenant, Festivals, new moons, uh, you know, uh, feasts, all of these things were shadows that were fulfilled in Christ. And so if you were a Christian at this time and you had people who were saying you had to come back under the law, they were pulling you back to the shadow. They weren't, mm -hmm. you didn't have the full revelation of Jesus Christ. So that was the first thing he says is that, that there are arguments that seem biblical, but they do not, in, in light of the full revelation of Scripture, they don't have substance. They couldn't bring about salvation. They don't hold you. In, uh, they don't merit you anything with God. They, 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 the whole point of the old covenant and the law was to point us to the fact that we needed Christ. We couldn't keep those things. And so when Christ came, he fulfills all of this. So we're not to be kept captive under the old covenant. But it was the second part of this that, that really made me kind of open my eyes and think about how does this relate in our current time, okay, I'm not a you know first century Jew, but I can take the principle of what Paul's saying and apply it to what we're seeing going on in the church today. And before you do, I was going to say this is it was interesting about this is that it's it seems fairly specific in a way, mm -hmm. but yet it's so timeless. Exactly, this is something that in every age, every generation since since Paul has had something like this. There's always something creeping in Absolutely. from outside. Absolutely. Absolutely. You've always had people who wanted to 
bring the church under its own interpretation, its own understanding of Scripture. I mean, you you take some of the most hardline fundamentalist churches that say you're not a Christian if your skirt is, isn't, you know, three inches off the ground. You know, if your ankle's showing, you're not a Christian. If you smoke or drink or or go to a movie or a dance, you, you're not a Christian. You know, like, I mean, don't get me wrong. I understand there were some churches that held to that for a reason, and they didn't necessarily say you weren't saved, but it's kind of an extreme mm-hmm. ex- example. But it's that same idea that you can take the idea of holiness and, and obedience to the Word of God and add your own traditions to it, and you take it beyond anything it was intended. It this has a, legalism. Exactly, it's pure legalism. It's exactly it. It has a ring of biblical truth, but it's yep. lacking the substance, and it doesn't point you back to Christ. But the other thing was that Paul writes in verse uh, you know, chapter 2, verse 18, he says, Let no one disqualify you, insisting on asceticism, and worship of angels, going on in detail about visions puffed up without reason by his sensuous mind. And then later in verses 22, 20 to 23, he says, if, Christ, if with Christ you died to the elemental spirits of the world, why, as if you were alive in the world, do you submit to regulations, do not handle, do not taste, do not touch, referring to things that all perish as they're used, according to human precepts and teaching? These indeed have an appearance of wisdom, in promoting self-made religion and asceticism and severity of the body, but they are of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. And I got to thinking about it. It's like, these aren't even biblical arguments. These are man-made ideologies that are brought in that they're useless. They're worthless, but they sound Mm -hmm. great. It's, Mm -hmm. you know, it's, you got all these, Hey, you know, asceticism, you know, to take you, disconnect yourself from the world. Uh, you know, Hey, you know, listen to these messages from these from these angels. They're they're telling us things from God. Uh, you know, don't taste, don't touch, don't don't even get near it. It's all an appear. It all has this appearance like it could do something of value for you, but it doesn't even have the shadow. It doesn't even have the substance because some of these things were things that God forbade. You weren't mm-hmm. to worship angels. There was nothing that said you had to live an ascetic lifestyle. You 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 know you. Yes, there were under the old covenant. You had dietary laws, but the idea of don't taste, don't touch, it's adding to. So you know, it's funny as I uh, the way you're describing it, it just rings of Roman Catholicism mm-hmm. to me. Every bit of that, it's absolutely. It's it, that's what the, the you know the reason we needed the Reformation was to rescue the gospel mm-hmm. from all of that added on tradition, but. Mm-hmm. I say that just, you know, kind of going back to what I said before about how it's so timeless. Because yeah. we started off saying that, well, you, you kind of alluded to critical race theory, which we brought up at the beginning, and how this is just another vain philosophy. Exactly. Right. You know, but yeah, you can still, you can plug it into to Catholicism. And you can, mm-hmm. I mean, you can plug it into so many different things. And that's exactly it. We need the word of God because we need to be able to examine these things in the light of God's revelation. If you don't, you know, Luther, when he went back to Scripture and understood, you know, grace alone by faith alone and Christ alone is how we're saved, he understood that the entire system of the Catholic Church was a mess. And he tried to reform it, and and there were things that Luther, even in his Reformation, still was still dealing with that wasn't right, but he he, he pulled the, the, the veil back and revealed all that Rome was doing that was an addition to and added on and, and uh, ideologies that had no place there. 
And then, mm-hmm. and as you say, timeless. So fast forward to 2021, what's going on in our, our, our church today? Like you were saying with the critical race theory, you have ideologies that sound like they have something. This idea that, well, systemic racism exists and everybody's a, is, is, is a racist at, at heart, even if you've never done anything racist. Um, or you're a misogynist because you're a male. You know, you're um, you're you're a hater of. Uh, isn't that isn't that like kind of misogynistic in a way? You know, uh, it's sexist in, in and of itself. I mean, I see that it's just it's just so. I just have to forehead <laughs> slap so it often is. when people are accusing others of racism, sexism, whatever, and. And, and the very act of the accusation ends up making the accuser guilty of that, which he's accusing others of. Exactly. And the thing that's that's crazy about these these philosophies that we're adopting today is they don't even deal with justice in a biblical manner. Justice, by definition, is uh, under things like these critical theories, is that, well, you have all these people that basically aren't guilty of anything. They've, ju- they've just been oppressed. And you have these people who are always guilty because they live in a system that allows for that oppression and they don't do anything to change it. So the only way justice happens is as you tear down the, the oppressive people and lift up the oppressed. That's not biblical. That's not a biblical definition of justice. <laughs> justice is getting what you deserve because you've sinned against the holy God. Mercy is what you want. You don't want justice. Justice is you right. go to hell. Mercy and grace is what you desire because you don't deserve them. But in Christ, in his love, sacrificed himself for the sinner, taking on the wrath of God. So justice in a biblical sense is you getting what you deserve for what you've done wrong. Critical mm-hmm. theory does says you're guilty even if you've never done anything wrong because you haven't met the standards for anti-racism, anti-sexism, whatever it is, and and it puts you on a treadmill that you can never get off of. This mm-hmm. is this is an unbiblical well, it's, ideology. It, it's oppressive in and of itself. I mean, they like to talk about oppression. I mean, it is incredibly oppressive to have people constantly worried that, well, do I get the terminology right today? You know, you, you brought up earlier the whole transgenderism, and if I call somebody by the wrong, if I misgender somebody, you know, then I'm an oppressor. Yep. You know, even if like, let's just say you subscribe to that and you just like, well, I didn't know that you identify as a woman, like, but the fact that I didn't ask you first or call you Z or Zer or whatever, you know, that means that I'm evil. Absolutely. So oh. it, 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 it just, it, it, it smacks you and then it, it just keeps smacking you down, you know, and, and, and I see a little hint of optimism in that. There are some of the people that are on that side of the political spectrum are starting to realize that they can't win. They, you know, they're, they're stuck and, and, and they, they see how empty it is. Absolutely. No matter how hard I try and I want to be a good person by that standard. And I, and I want to, I want to, I want to treat people well and blah, blah, blah. I just can't, you know, like they're not going to let me. Yeah, and that's exactly it. And that's why it's it's an unbiblical ideology. God's law convicts me because I can't do those things, but the re- the atonement for that is Christ did it for me. And mm-hmm. now I 
if I'm in Christ, I'm free to obey God and do what he's called me to do, not so I can merit something, but because of my love and my and desire to obey Christ. And that's mm-hmm. what the, the gospel actually does. It changes your heart. It makes you something new. And Paul in, in, his, in the third chapter of Colossians says, we are to put on compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, patience, bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you, you must also forgive. It changes you. The gospel changes you. It makes you a different person. It's, you're humble. You're meek. You desire to love and forgive. And then you go on, and the way you're able to do this is we build each other up because, as he says in three, uh, chapter 3, verse 16, we are to let the word of Christ, the word of Christ, Scripture, not vain philosophies, the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teach and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. The word of God informs me, it changes me, it it makes me humble. It may, helps me to be forgiving. It, it causes me to serve my, my fellow man, my, 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 my fellow Christians, to build them up and strengthen them. And then guess what? I'm not divided from these people. I'm actually united. It says that we, uh, when we are unified in Christ, Paul says, here there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave and free, but Christ is all and in all. The vain philosophies of today, the things that have a ring of truth, divide us. It makes us mm-hmm. arrogant. It makes us prideful. It te- tears us apart. It gives us unforgiving hearts. It puts us on a treadmill of works we can never t- attain anything from. But the Word of God changes you. It brings you into the, uh, the family of God. It makes you one with Christ. It unites you. And it builds you up to where you are serving one another with humility, kindness, meekness, and forgiving one another and building each other up in the word, psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. These philosophies that we are seeing today are antithetical to the word of God, and they are an admission that the word of God is insufficient. And this is why they have to be rejected. There's a battle going on for the sufficiency of Scripture. And if we don't wake up and start seeing this, we're going to be more and more held captive by vain philosophies. And that's what I yeah. believe he's warning against here. And it is the, it is the battle of our day. We are back to the battle of sufficiency. Mm-hmm. Well said. Well, um, we're at an hour of recording time and uh, I think we're right at about 15 minutes since we started that topic. So I'd <laughs> like to move on. Um, again, all these things are, they're, they're uh, great discussions, but. And they could go on, they could do an hour and a half easily <laughs> on any one of them. <laughs> I've got one I think is a little bit more fun. At least I want it to be a little bit more fun and lighthearted. Okay. Um, you know, after talking about persecution and vain philosophies and stuff, I, I, this one I want to <laughs> completely change gears. Um, so I was at a, um, a, a prophecy conference. Um, Ryan Habana is a pastor friend. He's on my board for Equizoe Ministries. He's the guy that takes me to Israel to do filming for the various, you know, I, I was, uh, uh, we did Jerusalem's King and, and, uh, a couple of years ago, two years ago, we went over to film the conquest, which still is yet to be released. He's working on that one. Um, well he and, uh, Alan Kirshner, who's uh, another friend, uh, held a small prophecy conference at, uh, Ryan's church and, uh, on the, of the pre wrath persuasion, that's where we're at, but that's all beside the point. Um, uh, a passage came up 
while they were talking. And I've read this passage off and on for years. And every time I stumble across it, I, I think, oh yeah, I forgot about that. And, and it always interests me. It's Matthew 27. And I tried, I, I, I looked real quick. I did not find it in any of the synoptic gospels. It's just Matthew 27, as far as I can tell. And it's just three verses, 51 to 53. So Jesus has just died on the cross, right? Crucifixion has, has come to its conclusion. In verse 51, and behold, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom, and the earth shook and the rocks were split. The tombs also were opened, and many bodies of the saints who had fallen asleep were raised. And coming out of the tombs after his resurrection, they went into the holy city and appeared to many. And this is something I've always thought is so intriguing. It wasn't just Jesus that was raised from the dead. It was many of the saints, too, raised at the time of his crucifixion. Mm -hmm. And what I, the kind of the lighthearted, more fun discussion I wanted to have is the scripture doesn't say anything beyond those three verses I just read you. (laughs) We don't know who they are other than they're saints. We don't know what happened to them. We don't know where they went. We don't know what they did. We don't know anything about them. Those three verses are it. (laughs) That's it. So, Chris, what do you think? What, where are these people? What happened to them? Did they get raised with Jesus at the resurrection or uh, ascension? Did they ascend with him in the ascension? It is ascension day, by the day. Wait, oh, did goodness, you know I didn't think about that. Yeah. <laughs> cool. Yeah, today's ascension day. Yeah, perfect timing. May 13th. Then. Um, yeah. You know, I, I would, ha- we look at, you know, when, when scripture talks about Lazarus was raised from the dead, Lazarus was raised and lived and eventually he would have had to have died. There's no indication that he was taken up. Mm-hmm. I would imagine. No, that's that's where the thing gets really interesting. <laughs> yeah. And then there was the little girl that Jesus yep. brought back that died in an illness, and Jesus brought her back. And she, you know, most likely died again. Yeah. She and Lazarus. And and then we've got, like, Elijah was taken up in the whirlwind, you know? Yeah. Like, he never died. Yeah. But these guys, did they... You know, I, what do you think? Do you I, think they died again? Or I think, do you think they did. That- I, I think they did. I think it's a testimony to the power of Christ's resurrection. Um, when you've got, we, we don't often talk about this, probably as you say, it's, it's relegated to these three verses, but Christ's resurrection from the tomb, we still deal with the, you know, people come up with crazy theories about that swoon theory, or he really didn't die, or it was somebody else. Uh, mm-hmm. you know, and, and the, the testimony of the, uh, the Roman soldiers, which were bribed by the, the the Pharisees, was that oh well we fell asleep and his 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 people came and stole the body and that was a a, a thing that persisted. But you've got another problem. After Christ ascended, you've got an unknown number of bodies that came out of tombs and walked back into the city. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so that is and again this that that's never addressed. No. But imagine you've you've buried your your son, you've buried your father or your grandfather, and at the he's been in the tomb for a little bit, and then there's this big commotion in, in Jerusalem. This guy that everybody thought was the Messiah gets crucified. Now everybody's saying that he's risen, and you don't know what to think. But bump 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 bump. All of a sudden the door you open the door and there's your father, your son, your grandfather, and you're like, we buried you (laughs) um that well but see here's the thing is like because it's so vague 
we don't even know like how dead these people were. No. You know, Jesus was only dead for three days. I mean, this could have been like Meshach, Shadrach, and Abednego. <laughs> I mean, for all we know. Yeah, we have no Probably idea. Probably not in Jerusalem. They would, you know, as far as they died in Babylon, but. Yeah, I mean, we don't know who they are. And I think there's a reason for that, of course. You know, it's the, probably the same reason why we never see a description of Jesus. So we stop thinking that he looked like this blonde hair, blue eyed surfer boy. Yeah. Um, but it, it's, it's there as a testimony to the power of Christ's resurrection. The, the, you know, the promise that we would, you know, that he's going to bring them back. And specifically, it's the saints. These are people that died and believing in the promise. Now, Mm-hmm. They may have died, you know, it, it, given the fact that Christ had not yet died and resurrected, let's assume for a moment that they had died around well, he the time. he just died. Right, he had just died. But let's assume for a moment that they died just before his, his death and resurrection or have died around the same time. That means that their beliefs would have been in the promise of the Messiah, not like us mm-hmm. looking back and, and, and seeing the testimony of Scripture, but they're looking at Christ, they're hearing the teachings, they're seeing the promises of Scripture being fulfilled. They're believing without him yet being resurrected. These are people that had immense faith in the promises of God and trusted in that. These are specifically you know, people who knew who Christ was, who had heard, you know, had been taught all their lives from the from the Tanakh, that had you know understood the old covenant and saw his fulfillment. It saw him as the fulfillment of the Messiah. So they come back. What do you think they're talking about? <laughs> they're mm-hmm. talking about Christ who brought them back from the dead. <laughs> so Absolutely. He, so Grandpa, who yeah. just went into the grave, is now back, and he says, "Guess why I'm alive." <laughs> Mm-hmm. so i mean what an amazing well, testimony. i mean there's so much like there's there's so many possibilities like i said for all we know this was shadrach meshach and abednego True. i mean these people could have been dead for centuries for all we know because we don't know yeah, we just know they were who. saints we knew they were in the tombs because the tombs were opened so they were at least dead for a few days i would yeah. say you know at a minimum but we know they were saints they were in the tombs and they, they were raised that's it we don't know uh how long they were dead we don't know who they were and, and then the other question was, where did they go? What happened to them? I mean, we don't know. Now, you speculated that they maybe died again. I, I believe so. I guess I'm more of a persuasion. I think, no, this was their, they, this was their resurrection. Like, they, they were in a first wave resurrection. I think they were likely more, more likely ascended around, you know, when Christ comes back and he says that I will return in the same way that, that I depart, right? Mm-hmm. He's gonna return with with a with the saints behind him, right? Right. That, that you know, it's plausible that when he ascended, he ascended with these saints with him. Very possible. I mean, we don't know for certain because we, the only thing that talks about that is when we see Paul making the promise that the dead in Christ will rise first, and then we will join. Uh, we will beat them in, uh, in mm-hmm. the air. So whether they were those that ascended with him and we're just not told about it or whether they, well, you know, it's interesting. You bring that up that the dead in Christ shall raise. Cause that was another thing that came up at this conference was um, now Ryan and Alan were speculating that, um, you know, when we think of the rapture and we think of this period of the dead rising first, I don't know about you, but I guess I'm, I'm in what I think is the typical mindset that we're going to, we're going to basically, I've heard it said, they rise first because they got six feet further to go, right? <laughs> so, but they're otherwise basically at the same time that we are raptured or taken up. Like, you know, 
I, you and I are both pre-millennial, right? I would say I'm falling somewhere between the that and amillennial these days. I don't, hold, okay. I don't hold quite as strongly to it as I used to, um, but I certainly understand the argument you're making. Sure. Um, they were kind of they they were speculating not not no maybe these the dead will rise you know days or weeks maybe even more months probably not too many years but in advance of the rapture that they might be out proclaiming and preaching and like you said with these saints that I was dead and now I'm alive mm-hmm. they'll be out preaching the the one who raised them and then we'll all be raised together. Christ. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's an interesting perspective. Obviously we don't have anything that tells us whether that would be the case or not. Um, Mm -hmm. at a minimum, that passage tells us that it, you know, that's the promise of the resurrection. So, you know, he's telling the, in fact, I think it's first Thessalonians. I was just reading that, uh, last, last month where he talks about that, that the dead in Christ will rise first. And it's a promise that we do not need to fear that those who have gone before us have somehow right. missed it. And so w- yeah. whether they're, whether it's a miraculous raising at, a, at, at the time of the rapture, or it is a, a more generic understanding that those who have died before you aren't, aren't missing out because Christ hasn't come back yet. But the amazing mm-hmm. thing is that it is, we have the promise of the resurrection and we can see a taste of that with this resurrection of the saints when Christ is, is resurrected and ascended in, into heaven. I mean, um, just again, what an amazing testimony of the power of, of, of his resurrection. You can't deny that. People saw that. People testified of that. Yeah. And, you know, uh, it, no wonder that we see, you know, at the time of Pentecost, what what was the change in the crowd? You know, just just weeks before, they're screaming, crucify him, crucify him. And now at the time of Pentecost, what must we do to be saved? Mm-hmm. I, I, I have to attribute at least some of that to the fact that there were people that were dead and now they're back in the city. Yeah. And they're testifying to the power of Christ's resurrection. I mean, however that, whatever that plays out when we get to that end day, I don't know. I mean, I... I whether we'll see something similar to that, but what an amazing testimony to see the people you knew who believed in this man or believed in the promise of the coming of this man and he's resurrected and ascended and now they're alive. Mm-hmm. Wow. Uh, there ha- that had to have had some impact in Jerusalem at which, that time. Which makes you wonder why this is the, these three verses are all we get. And I, you know, yeah. Paul never mentions it. You know, um, the, the the other epistles never mention it. John never mentions it. You know, it's this is just Matthew. Matthew mentions it three little verses. And the only thing I can think of is is because the emphasis is on Christ and His resurrection, because that's where our promise is. Well, yeah, I mean that's a good point. That obviously that that's a good point. You don't they probably why it's just three verses. I mean, it's a big thing, basically. Yeah. We don't want to take away from the fact that the heart of the story is supposed to be the savior that just died. Yeah. But this is so big. I can't let it go. I got to at least mention, exactly. it, you know, like, no, exactly. And I think that's exactly it. It was to, you know, to testify to what Christ accomplished, even, even in those three mm-hmm. verses, just in that amazing mm-hmm. three verses that the dead came well, out in the of the next tombs. verse. 
The next verse after that, 54, when the centurion and those who were with him, uh, when the centurion and those who were with him, keeping watch over Jesus, saw the earthquake and what took place, they were filled with awe and said, truly, this was the son of God. Amen. Amen. And I think that's the point. I think it's, this is the son of God. It wasn't just some exalted being that, mm-hmm. that did something that God used in some weird way to, to, to make people savable. But rather, this was the Son of God, and the testimony of that was what you see, that rending of the, 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 um, the veil the in the temple, the, you know, the earthquake, the massive you know, uh, opening of the tombs. This, we see nothing like this for any other biblical figure. Nothing like this. This is, I think, just God in his might and in his glory revealing this is what I've done for you. This is what I've mm-hmm. done to bring salvation. And imagine being there and seeing that happen. We can read it and speculate on some of the things and think, wow, that was some that would have been a sight to behold. But to be there when it happened, that that testimony of that Roman centurion, who these were guys that were experts in torture and death. And they watch this man die, and then they watch all of this happen. For them to go, uh, this is the Son of God. <laughs> That's an, that I think is the whole point of that scene is to say this is the Son of God. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's uh, yeah, it's such an amazing. You know, having been to Jerusalem too, and thinking, you know, like imagining, you see the you know, that whole that whole pericope starts with um, now from the sixth hour there was darkness over all the land until the ninth hour. So, and they usually, they typically, when they, they say that they're measuring from, from sunrise or about 6am. So from about noon to three, mm-hmm. it was dark. This isn't just a solar eclipse. Those no. things are here and gone. Yep. You know, those are minutes, five minutes long. Yeah. Uh, this was, this was real darkness. Absolutely. Three hours. Yeah. Can you imagine that? I mean, suddenly the, the, in the middle of the day, the, the, your world is plunged into darkness. It, this this is the power of God at work. This is mm-hmm. God, the creator and sustainer of the universe going, I've changed the, 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 the laws of physics. I've changed astrophysics. I've changed everything. I, I, and I've brought back the dead. I've done all of this. I've shaken the very foundations of the temple. I've, I've torn the veil. The very one who holds everything together by, together by the word of his power in an instant revealed who is in control and mm-hmm. then he goes to the grave and he was resurrected three days later well chris i did want to i want to wrap up i did have uh a little question first okay. and I, i'm gonna throw it out to you but it's really this question is intended for the audience so if you've got an answer for me um i would like to do have you heard of this uh thing called transhumanism not transgenderism, transhumanism. I think I've heard of it, but I'm having a, a bit of a blank because there's so many things to I keep would, track of. I've, I've heard it described. I've heard it talked about here and there. Um, not from um, not from a, a, a Christian source. So I would like, if anybody's heard and knows a good, I say expert, somebody I could talk to, I would like to do a show on transhumanism sometime. If you know who I can interview on it, I I would like them to be a believer. Um, the experts that I've seen on it are 
could be for all I know, but they don't, they weren't on sources that were professing, you know, they were on more secular uh, media, but uh, I would like to do something on transhumanism. Yeah, that's an interesting so topic. If you, if you, if you've uh, heard of it, if you're familiar with it, if you know an expert, please contact me. Um, the easiest way is echozoe.com slash contact, fill out the form. It'll convert to email and it'll email me. Um, or like I've mentioned, I'm on, I'm on telegram. So you could send it. Uh, my personal account is Andy Olson. At, and then, uh, or echo Zoe also has a telegram account just to add echo Zoe. Uh, would be probably easiest because I'm not really on Twitter anymore and I've eschewed Facebook. In fact, so I've so eschewed Facebook, <laughs> I've set up my own home network and my my Android phone to completely block all known Facebook <laughs> uh, servers. And because of all the tracking that goes on, oh, yeah. that even when you're not a, a user, they will track you all over the place. And so I'm just like, I'm, my my devices will not talk to Facebook's web servers. So you basically oh. have built a Faraday cage around your house. Okay, we got it. <laughs> a, a Facebook Faraday cage, yes. Yep. Well, I had to be extra careful about how I did it because my wife still is on Facebook. Ah. So I use uh, a, a little device called a Pi Hole, a Raspberry Pi. Ah. It's a DNS, a DNS server, okay. personal DNS server. And uh, it's kind of neat. I, I like how it works. Um, but you can set up device groups and whatnot. So hmm. you could, I use it. It's meant to block ads. But you can use, I use it for like when my kids are not supposed to be on YouTube, I can have it block YouTube and mm. uh, keep them off. We have what we call uh, screen time Sabbath. So Sunday is screen time Sabbath at our house. They're not supposed to be on screens on Sunday. Not a bad idea. We need one day a week where we can just turn the screens off and like find something else to do. Not a bad idea. But uh, so I use it for that. But uh, the groups is nice because I can say, well, for for my device group, just don't allow Facebook. <laughs> cool. So I like that uh, idea. Yeah. So, so that's the call that to, the call for help. If you know somebody, anybody knows uh, anything about who to talk to about transhumanism, that's a topic I would like to cover. I think it is uh, very obscure to most people at this point, but um, it's one of those things that could end up getting big quickly. Uh, maybe I'll talk to you post show about what I know about it. But, cool. Um, but that's all I've got. Um, why don't we close with uh, how to reach you and find your show if anybody might not know? Uh, yeah, uh, you can. If anybody ever wants to get a hold of us, you can uh, reach out to us at voiceofreasonradio at gmail.com. You can also go to our website, slavetothekeen.com, and there's a contact us page there. Uh, also, if you just uh, look up Christian Podcast Community um, and, and plug that into your Google, you'll find us along with, uh, with your show, Andy, and everybody else. Um, You'll always find a great program on there, but slave to the king.com is kind of the primary place that uh, you can find all those connections at. So that's the best place I would recommend. Uh, both Richard Story and I are, are on social media. We, we're we both on Facebook and Twitter, so sorry, we didn't issue them completely. I figure they'll, I'll stay there until they kick me off because I figure that's not going to last much longer. Um, yeah. But, uh, but also, I uh, just want to put out there for people who do listen to our program. Um, we're actually for the first time in five years, we're finally actually have official merchandise. Uh, if you, oh, yeah. Wow. So if you could, Oh yeah, I saw that you got, the yeah, we have t-shirts, t-shirts now. So sweet. Uh, yeah, I was joking about how I need a hoodie to put over your t-shirt. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so. But, uh, yeah, good. If you go to doctrine and life, CO, 
uh, you'll find our our merchandise right next to James White's merchandise. Um, so <laughs> I'm kind of it's kind of weird to see all these hoodies and hats with Alpha and Omega, and then there's there's our T-shirts with Voice Reason Radio. Uh, but if anybody's interested in that, that's that's a great way to promote the program. Um, we, we, we don't get anything out of it until a certain amount are sold, which is fine. I, I'm really not, we're not trying to make any money off of this. Yeah. It's just a way for our listeners to promote the program and, and to share it with other people. So that's, if you want to go check oh. that out, uh, doctrinalife.co, or there's a link uh, on our, uh, a tab on our uh, website at slave to the It'll take you there. Um, but you, you can find our podcast on just about anywhere. Um, we we're on Apple. We're on, uh, Spotify, we're on the Audible, uh, uh, Amazon music apps. Uh, you know, mm-hmm. yeah, that was kind of interesting. We actually got an email from them, you know, cause they were reaching out to all kinds of podcasters. And, yeah, if I remember, I think I think I did too. And it was kind of a weird thing to see that show up, and I was like, "How did you guys find us?" <laughs> it's like yeah. we we get like three hundred listeners a show. You know, where did you guys <laughs> yeah. find us from? But that was kind of fun. So, um, but you know, like. <laughs> You mentioned that, and and but um, that's actually a an above average podcast size or audience size, and a lot of people think, oh, you've got a podcast, you must have thousands and thousands and thousands of listeners. But no, the truth is, the the average podcast has less than fifty listeners. Which you know, that's it. Still amazes us that even anybody listens mm-hmm. to us after five years. Yeah. So the fact that we have kind of that number is is really just a testament, uh, Moni, to to God. And how gracious he is to allow two knuckleheads that are three time zones apart to, mm-hmm. to be able to have a podcast and do it as long as we have. Um, so, yeah, those are the places that you can reach us. And that's how you can get a hold of us. Um, we'd love to, to hear from folks, uh, you know, whether it's from, from this uh, program. And, uh, and and I think I told you uh, we'll, we're going to drop this uh, on our podcast episode when I'm out of uh, out of state going to cruciform conference which is coming up in uh june june 4th and 5th uh, let me plug that for these guys cruciform conference it's going to be on the topic of still standing 500 years after the diet of worms where uh martin luther's famous statement here i stand i can do no other so help me god mm-hmm. there's so they're going to that's going to be the topic there's going to be an amazing uh, number of speakers there our friend andrew rapaport is one of the speakers uh, just a lot of great guys. I, I had the opportunity to go last year. They've invited me to, not to be part of it, just invited me to come out and be, to, to attend. Yeah. Uh, I might be able to do a live podcast if, if things work out, but uh, I, I get to go out there. So, um, but if you can get out there, you know, look up Cruciform Conference in Google. You could, they, they have an events page on, uh, on Facebook as well. Uh, I think they've got a thing going right now where it's like 50% off if you use a certain code. But go check it out if you can get there. I think it's a great conference, great group of uh, guys, and some wonderful teaching. Um, yeah. And it's it's for ladies. You will also have a teacher there. Michelle Leslie's going to be there. She is oh, fantastic. Cool. She love te- Michelle. She's just so so awesome. I got to have Michelle back on again soon. It's you, been you a while. Should, huh? man. She is so awesome. She's such a great gal. And I got to play chauffeur mm-hmm. for her earlier this year when we were we, we <laughs> cool. all went to the. Um, uh, to the uh, the conference last year, and so we got to you know drive her back and forth. She was staying at the same place we were, so um, cool. yeah. So it's a great. It looks like it's going to be a great conference. Really encourage people to be there. So we'll drop this on our episode feeds as well uh, that week while I'm gone. So all right. So if you want to listen again and give uh, Chris uh, the download, it'll be out in a probably be about two to three two, weeks. About three, yeah, about two or three weeks. Yeah. So cool. 
Yeah, look at, but I really appreciate being on. I'm hoping it's the 13th, but I'm hoping that we'll have this up, you know, by, by the end of the weekend. Is my hope. Cool. We'll see. Very, very cool. Lord willing. <laughs> so, well, thanks, Chris. Thank you. Thanks for having me on. Echo Zoe Radio is an outreach of Echo Zoe Ministries. If you are blessed by the show, please consider offering your support. There are many things you can do to help, including prayer, sharing the show with others, and your financial support. Echo Zoe Ministries is a registered nonprofit organization with 501c3 tax-exempt status, and your donations are tax-deductible. For more information about how you can support Echo Zoe Ministries, please visit echozoe.com support. That wraps up episode 157. Thanks for listening to Echo Zoe Radio. For show notes, visit echozoe.com slash 157. Please do send a note if you know of any believers who are well-versed in transhumanism. It's a topic that I'm interested in learning more about and discussing on a future episode. And so far, the experts that I've come across are that are able to discuss transhumanism have either not been believers or they've just not confessed faith in Christ when I've heard them speak on the topic. I don't really want to reach out to any of them because having an a unbeliever or a potential unbeliever on the show would be a deviation from the show's format that I don't want to get into. I think that transhumanism is something that the church will, will have to deal with in the future, and I want people to be aware of it before it starts blindsiding people. The best ways to reach me these days are via echozoe.com contact or via telegram at Andy Olson or echozoe. Twitter if the other options don't work well for you. Even though I'm not active on Twitter, I do still get notifications and hopefully won't miss a tweet or a DM if you send one. And that applies both to my AVG Andy account as well as Echo Zoe. With that, Lord willing, we'll be back next month for the June episode of Echo Zoe Radio. 